0: Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstander, and of course, there's always a lot to discuss in this sport because it's the only one that seems to be going with any sort of consistency. Now, we're having positive tests here and there, but the events uh, seem to be going off without a hitch. In fact, the last event, UFC 251, ended up being a bigger event than expected. 1.3 million buys, according to a report from The Athletic's Mike Coppinger. Uh, Huge, huge night for the UFC and i think that uh it was a result of gilbert burns being removed from the card uh due to a positive test from covid-19 and being replaced by jorge masvidal which was uh what i think allowed this to be such a big event uh however i do think that uh burns would have been a tougher matchup for kamaru usman as it turned out to be a pretty lopsided affair usman winning 50-45 50-45 and 49-46 on the three scorecards and uh fantastic Performance as per usual by Kamaru Usman, who looks like he's going to be one of the more dominant fighters in uh, in the UFC for some time because uh, I just don't see. I think Colby Covington has the best chance of anybody to beat him, and uh, I don't think that that's as much. Although I do think that Gilbert Burns, with his skill set, can certainly pose some issues for uh, Usman because it will neutralize his grappling, and I think that Usman's, uh, sorry, Burns' striking rather has gotten much, much better over time. However, I do think that uh, the grappling will be offset by Burns and uh, his spectacular sweeps, his spectacular jiu-jitsu gold medalist in world jiu-jitsu tournaments. And that is what makes that such an interesting matchup. But uh, this particular matchup was pretty much one-way traffic aside from the first round. And I do think that Masvidal showed a lot of his skills. He showed his takedown defense. But it was really uh, the cardio uh, taking the fight on such short notice that I think ultimately led to Masvidal's downfall in this particular instance. I think that uh, Masvidal showed that his striking was going to be a threat early on, and uh, that was neutralized by Usman, which uh, I thought was going to be the game plan all along. I don't think that that was uh, a secret. I think that the game plan was going to be pretty apparent, and whether or not he implemented the game plan was going to be what determined his success. And he was very successful, as he has been for much of his UFC career, at neutralizing his opponent at... Um, managing distance at getting inside uh, whenever he was able to do so, and just giving Masvidal constant headaches throughout the fight with foot stomps, with uh, pushing up against the cage, keeping the fight where he wanted it to be, and not letting Masvidal get off in the way that would allow him to win that fight. And uh, that's really how I thought it was going to go. If you listen to me on last week's show uh, or on any of my Sports Center previews, I just said that it was going to be a, a pretty monumental task for Masvidal on short notice to beat a guy like Usman. It's just Usman just does not make a lot of mistakes. And I thought that the only real path for Masvidal would be if Usman made um, some sort of colossal mistake or if Masvidal was able to really time the takedowns in a manner that would uh, allow him to win that fight. Now, the thing about Usman, though, is... I mean, his takedown rate is below 50% in terms of his successful takedowns, but his timing is just so impeccable. Like even if you're able to stuff his takedowns, it's hard to see them coming. You know, he, you don't know when he's going to go for the takedown. And his striking is good enough that it allows him to stay on the feet for long enough to find that opening and find the good timing and find a way of really neutralizing his opponent. And it's not always about taking them down and, and keeping on top of them and trying to get subs or trying to advance position. It's more about being able to stifle his opponent's game. And he is just a master at that. And he he showed that against uh, Masvidal this past weekend at UFC 251. Now, the co-main event, Alexander Volkanovski defeats Max Holloway, split decision, one of the more controversial decisions in some time, but to call it a robbery, you'd have to be totally blind or just not paying attention to what Volkanovski was doing during the fight. I personally had a score of 48-47 for Volkanovski. I thought Volkanovski won the last three rounds, and I just think it's symptomatic of the scoring system. You know, the boxing system in MMA, you're, you're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. It's just not conducive to mixed martial arts, and it leads to a lot of situations like this where people are furious about a decision that makes sense on paper. Because this decision makes sense on paper. If you look at the rounds, you look at rounds 1 and 2, clear max rounds. You look at 3, 4, and 5, rounds that really could have gone either way. Round. I mean, I think that Volkanovsky won the fourth round. I think that was probably the most uh, decisive round of the, the, the final three rounds for Volkanovsky. I still think you could have made a case that Max won that round. But I think that of those three rounds, it was the more decisive round. Uh, and then you look at round three. Round three, I thought, was uh, a pretty clear uh, Volkanovsky round as well. If, if you're just watching and you're watching what Volkanovsky's doing. You look at Holloway, he's got the better combos. And I think that those combos provide a little bit of smoke and mirrors for those watching. Because Volkanovsky, was, he was... Tearing apart Holloway's leg as he had done in the first fight. He was he, he was managing his timing. And I was talking to Robin Black during the fight. And Robin Black was talking about the up attacks that, that Holloway was throwing. Knees, uppercuts, uh, upward uh, strikes that, that stifled Volkanovski in those first two rounds. And Volkanovski figured it out. He figured out the puzzle. He wasn't getting hit by as many of those in the, in the final three rounds. And if you look at the fight statistically, round by round, Volkanovsky won those three rounds, and nothing else really happened in those rounds that that were impactful enough where you would have to say Holloway won that round decisively. You just cannot say it. And as much as I'm sure people would like to uh, have given the fight to Holloway, Holloway's a fan favorite. People love this guy. And you should love Max Holloway. Max Holloway is A tremendous ambassador for the sport, both inside and outside of the cage. Still so young in his career. You look at tomorrow night's main event, Dan Ige, who will join us later on in the show. 28 years of age. Looks like he's just coming into his own in the uh, UFC featherweight division. He's the same age as Holloway. Look at how much Holloway has accomplished. I mean, the guy is such a role model in this sport. And you look at how much he's done for his native Hawaii uh, in terms of helping out the different food banks. He knows that the unemployment rate right now in Hawaii is a, a massive 40% and he's really trying to help his fellow Hawaiians. He's selling his fight kit, taking a page out of his previous uh, two-time opponent, Dustin Poirier's playbook, and and helping out people, with doing whatever he can to help out. And I, you know, you've know, you got to admire Max Holloway. Believe me, I do too. I love Max. Max is a guy that just has embraced Toronto as a second home, and that means the world to me. But as somebody who has to watch these fights objectively, I, w- I was watching that fight, and I was watching it strike for strike, and I thought that Volkanovsky won that fight three rounds to two. I thought the one rounds three, four, and five. Now, if you were to implement the scoring criteria that I have been a big proponent of all along, which is a half-point system or or a 20-point system, whatever you want it to be, it's basically the same thing, but a half-point system where if you were to have scored that fight by a half-point system, I would have scored rounds one and two, ten to eight and a half for Holloway, and I would have scored rounds three through five, uh, maybe I would have given Volkanovsky a ten-nine in the fourth, but I would have given a ten to nine and a half in the third and a ten to nine and a half in the fifth round. So if I would have scored it that way, again, the, the, the reason why I think they don't implement this is because the math is hard to do. But I mean, you just get a calculator, <laughs> you get a calculator, k side. You can make this work, commissions. Please make this work because. So let's let's do some math here quickly off the top of my head. If you're giving Holloway ten to eight and uh, a half, that would have been twenty-two. Seventeen for those uh, first two rounds, um, and then the last three rounds, you would I would have given Volkanovski ten, so that would have been 20 to 19. and uh, then you would have given a thirty two, so thirty to twenty. Um, geez, I'm bad at this. Thirty to twenty eight for those last three rounds. So if you add those two together, it would have been forty eight to forty eight. It would have been a draw. Uh, based on that scoring criteria. And I think that would have been a more fair outcome of this fight. But I do think that that is a model where you can get more realistic scores based on what actually happens in the rounds, because people saw Max have those two phenomenal rounds, those first two rounds, great rounds. And then you see three very close rounds, and then people get mad because they say, well, Max had those two great rounds. But that's not how the 10-9 must system works. So to call this a robbery, you're basically just not paying attention. You're not paying attention to how close those last three rounds were. You're paying attention just to Max's two great rounds. Because those three rounds weren't great rounds for Volkanovsky. They were not great rounds, but he won those rounds in my eyes. So you can't call it a robbery. And, and I you know I, I hate to say that because, I again, I think that Max is a great ambassador for the sport. And it would have been great to see him get the belt back. And not that Volkanovsky is not a good ambassador for the sport. Volkanovsky's worked so hard to get to where he is today. All these guys are hard workers. Volkanovsky is a super nice guy, and I love speaking with him. And I, I enjoy speaking to him on last week's show. I think that he's a great ambassador for the sport as well. But people get upset about these sort of things because the, the scoring system is not right for this sport. It never has been. Then people ask for open scoring. Open scoring doesn't make this any difference, Make the outcome any different. Maybe it makes Max come out a little bit harder in the fifth. Maybe it makes Volkanovski come out a little harder in the fifth because it's a tie, right? It's a, it's a, at that point in time, you're, you're going into that round. And it's basically a draw. Whoever won that last round is the winner of that fight. So, you know, you can, you can call it what what you will, but calling it a robbery is not fair to Alexander Volkanovsky. It just isn't. Because he did what he had to do to win that fight on the cards. And, uh, you know, people are calling for a trilogy fight. It can't happen right now, in my opinion. I think that you've had two fights in a row where Volkanovsky has won both of those fights. It's different than Cormier-Stipe, where you're doing three fights in a row, although there was the Derek Lewis fight in between, but I digress. Stipe is fighting... Cormier for the third straight time but the reason for that is because it's 1-1 this is not a 1-1 series you know and I see that FanDuel is reimbursing people for uh that the bet on Holloway they're 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 giving them their money back but the reason they're doing that is because I just mentioned them I just said FanDuel on this show you heard Dana White mentioned FanDuel today at the the press conference people are mentioning FanDuel and now all of a sudden We've got their their name being mentioned because they're the advertising for them is worth more than the amount of money they're giving back on Holloway bets. Believe me, this is a marketing ploy. So don't don't think that they're doing this out of the kindness of their heart. <laughs> they're not. They're they're doing this because I just mentioned them because Dana White mentioned them because people are saying, "Oh, FanDuel, 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 Fan." Yeah. So they're getting their money's worth. Believe me, they're they're not they're not losing their shirts over giving back money on Max Holloway. But that's how I saw that fight. I thought it was 39. I saw the I thought it was uh, 48-47 for Volkanovski. And if you scored it 48-47 for Max, 49-46 for Max, I do not fault you in the least if that was the score. If the judges, if all three judges would have given it a 49-46 for Max, I would have been totally okay with it if they saw it that way because there were three close rounds. That, those are swing rounds. You can go in e- either direction for it. So if you're going to do that, then you know you've got to be happy with any of those scores. 49-46 Max. 48-47 max, 48-47 Volkanovski, those are all reasonable scores if you thought rounds three through five were coin flip rounds. Because sometimes you, you flip a coin, you get tails three times in a row. Sometimes, sometimes you flip a coin, you get heads three times in a row. But I thought that Volkanovski did enough to win those last three rounds, and that's why I scored it for him. The final championship fight on the card, Piotr Jan defeats Jose Aldo, who just took an unnecessarily large beating in the fifth round because Leon Roberts did not stop this fight. And uh, I thought Leon Roberts should have stopped it earlier. And you're seeing a lot of this in championship fights, where guys are getting a little bit of extra rope, and they want that extra rope. But Aldo isn't going to tap out because that's just not it. That's not who he is. That's he's he just was not going to tap out to strikes. So he just took an unnecessary beating. But uh, kudos to Piotr Jan. hes uh, the uh, new champion of the bantamweight division, undisputed champion. And kudos to his manager, Danny Rubenstein, who I think is a fantastic manager and gets his first UFC champion. Uh, and uh, also kudos to Syed who uh, Syed Abragamov, who does... I don't know if that's his last name. I, I might have messed that up. I'm going to look his last name up because I want to make sure that I'm giving him proper um, proper kudos. Syed, uh, Syed, Syed Abragamov. Abramyanov, Sorry, I want to make sure that I give Sayat his due. Because Syed does a lot of great work uh, in terms of the international side of uh, Ruby Sports and Entertainment. But kudos to them; that's their first champion in the UFC, and uh, they've got a lot of great clients. But uh, when Pyotr signed, he, you know, if you ask Danny, he he knew he was going to be champion one day, and here he here it is. Now, the question is, what fight would you like to see next? Piotr Jan versus Aljamain Sterling or Piotr Jan versus Henry Cejudo, if that was an option? Because I think that the Henry, the Henry Cejudo fight would be great, but I do think that I thought that Aljamain Sterling should be the champion now. Like I thought that the Sterling versus Sanhagen fight would have been a more appropriate championship fight. But uh, Piotr Jan versus uh, Aljamain Sterling, should Cejudo remain retired, I think that's the fight to make. In fact, I think Cejudo versus... Uh, Volkanovski would be a better fight to make if you're going to bring Suhudo back or if Cejudo wants to come back. And uh, I don't know what's up with Suhudo. I don't know why he retired, but uh, he seems to keep wanting to put his name out there whenever anything happens in this sport. So, uh, you know, if that's going to be the case, then, uh, you know, maybe he wants to come back. But I think the Volkanovski fight would be a lot better than uh, watching him try to just regain the Phantomweight title. What does that do for his legacy? But Jan versus Sterling, I think, is the fight to make. I think Sterling has earned it. I think Sterling should be the champion right now in all honesty but uh, that's the fight to make and i hope they make it sooner rather than later because yon uh well he did have some uh you know moments of peril in this fight i don't think that he took much of a took much damage in the fight overall so uh that would be a fun one Rose Namuni defeats Jessica Andrade 29-28 29-28 and and 28-29 uh, or 29-28 for Andrade on a split decision i thought that Rose won rounds 1 and 2 Andraj won round 3 and i think most people thought that as well uh, Nam Unis versus Zhang is the fight to make next at Strawweight. I think that uh, any other opponent doesn't make a lot of sense. Even running back the Joanna fight, I don't think makes a lot of sense, especially with Rose winning over the former champion in Andraj. And apparently, Andraj is staying on Fight Island and just trying to get a short notice opponent to get to get herself back in the mix. Andraj is a beast. She is really good, and she looked really good in that fight. You know, you can say what you will about Rose in that fight. Rose looked fantastic, and Rose has looked fantastic, um, save for getting slammed on her head by Andraj in the previous fight for many years. But uh, Andrash looked like she actually improved in that fight. But uh, Rose, Rose probably would have won the last fight uh, if not for that slam because she looked great in that first round against uh, against Andrash. So uh, I've got to say I, I think that Rose Namajunas is uh, I think a shoo-in for that next title fight. And uh, even though she looked a little bit worse for wear after that fight, and I think they want to do get Whaley in there sooner rather than later, but. Uh, Let's see. And Joanna uh, is something to point out with Joanna. She posted a, an Instagram post this week with the hashtag "33 and retired." Now I, you can read into that how you will, but I thought that was very interesting. You know what else is interesting? I started the show off, and I didn't uh, mention that Joe is in Abu Dhabi. He's going to be cornering Malcolm Gordon this weekend. We'll have Malcolm on the second podcast. I'm going to do a second podcast because we have two events this week. Hoping to have Joe on that podcast. He's uh, down in Abu Dhabi, so kudos to Joe. Joe's always wanted to be in a UFC corner. And uh, he will be for uh, the debut of Malcolm Gordon, one of the best flyweights that was uh, unsigned to the UFC in the world before he got signed to the promotion. Another client of the aforementioned Danny Rubenstein. So uh, I will mention that uh, he will not be on the show this week, but we do have three great guests coming up. Dan Ige, Calvin Cater, and Modestus Bukowskis who at age 3 moved from Lithuania to London. My dad, born in Lithuania, in Kovno, Lithuania, moved from age when he was age 3 to Toronto, and uh, here I am today. So uh, that's going to be a, a fun one. The debut of Modestas Bukowskis, and of course the main event, Danny Gabe versus Calvin Caden, we'll have them both on today. I look forward to uh, having them on. Let's continue with UFC 251. Amanda Hibash beats Paige Van Zandt. Two twenty-one into the first round. And uh, she submits Paige Van Zandt to... If you watch that Paige Van Zandt versus uh, Rose Namajunas fight, like, she is otherworldly tough. And it is very difficult to submit Paige Van Zandt. She's extremely durable. Gets the, He-Bush gets the job done early. And uh, she looks like she is on her way to superstardom in the UFC. She's going to move back to strawweight in her next fight. But uh, I would love to see her face the top five strawweight. I think she's earned that. And I think that her dominance so far has really shined through so uh Paige Vanzant will test free agency Dana White encouraged her to do so, and uh if i would uh, place the odds at minus one thousand that she will sign with bellator and I think that those might be those might be good odds because uh that seems like a a shoe in right now but uh you know Paige has kind of become underrated out of this I mean she's been five and four in the u f c but uh, I mean, her best win would probably be the Fleece Harrig win, which happened in 2015, about f- over five years ago. Since then, she's gone three and four wins over Alex Chambers, Beck Rawlings, Rachel Ostevich Ostavich, the lone fighter named there that is still in the UFC, she's serving a suspension, and uh, her losses: Hibash, Jessica Rose Clark, Michelle Watterson, Rose Namajunas. But uh, I think Paige Van Zant is still a good fighter, and I think that a fight between her and Elimale McFarlane would be very marketable in uh, in Bellator. Uh, one of the better debuts you'll see in the UFC, uh, Yuri Prokashka gets the win over Volkan Uzdemir about 50 seconds into the second round of that fight, and Uzdemir is very difficult to put away. If you look at Uzdemir's losses, this is only his second by knockout. The first was to Daniel Cormier. So uh, he's he's notoriously difficult to put away, and uh, I think I thought Brochajka really made a name for himself, and now is in the championship mix at light heavyweight. Because there just are not that many suitors for that title right now. I think well, he's probably about a win away if he can get a good win. If he can beat like a Glover DeChera or a, maybe a you know anybody else ranked in the top five, maybe a Corey Anderson, he puts himself right in the title contention, especially with his fun fighting style. Um, and uh, he just looked like he uh, he belonged in the UFC and he belongs in that title mix. Muslim Salikov beats Eliseu Zaleski Dos Santos by split decision. Most people thought Zaleski Dos Santos won that fight, I thought. But uh, an interesting fight nonetheless. The King of Kung Fu versus the King of Capoeira. Maquan Amirkani defeats Danny Henry in the first round. Leonardo Santos in one of the uh, Stranger Fights... Gets uh, 329-26 scorecards. I thought it was 29 personally. Roman Bogotov gets two points taken away from him in the third round due to uh, <laughs> recurring eye pokes and groin shots to uh, poor Leonardo Santos. Uh, Marcin Tybura beats uh, Maxim Grishin. Very lopsided fight there. Helian Paiva beats uh, Jalgas Jumagulov. I thought that was a, a bad decision. I thought Jumagulov won the last two rounds of that fight. Carol Hosa beats uh, Vanessa Mello, who missed weight by a, a significant amount. Missed weight by five pounds. And the Davy Grant with a very nice knockout over uh, Martin Day. I think it was plus 1,500 uh, knockout prop in that fight. So kudos to him. Uh, now let's look ahead before we get to our guests. It's Cater uh, versus Ige. In the main event, that's a fun one. I, I love this fight because these are two very similar fighters. These are guys that are going to walk forward. And they're going to just put each other through hell for five rounds. And there are so many fighters in the featherweight division that fight like that. And uh, I just, I think that, that you need to be really careful with who you're picking as your opponents in that division. Because if you have too many of these fights, like Calvin Cater having a fight like this, having a fight like the one against Zabit, fight against Burgos, fight against Ricardo Lamas, at least what that fight could have been. Like these are difficult, difficult fights. Like look at look at his resume right now. You got Andre Fili, Burgos, Moicano, Fishgold, Lamas, uh, Sheripov, Stevens, and now this fight against Dan Ige. Like those are just that's a murderer's row. And then you look at Ige's resume: Barboza, Bektik, Kevin Aguilar, Danny Henry, Jordan Griffin. Like these are these are tough, tough fights. Julio Arce in his debut. Like in that featherweight division there are no easy fights in that top 15. That top 15 is the most crowded top 15 in the U.S. in any MMA division. I think that's the, that is the most stacked division we have right now in the sport. Maybe not in terms of like name value talent, but in terms of just the toughness of these guys in terms of the fighting caliber. Wow. Um all right, so uh, that's a big one. Tim Elliott versus Ryan Benoit in the Comeyan event, Jimmy Rivera versus Cody Stamen. That's a fun featherweight fight. Cody Stamen already having a quick turnaround after fighting. Right after his brother passed away, he's going right back into action. Maybe it's just helping him take his mind off things. So uh, kudos to Cody Stamen staying active. Coming off that win over Brian Kelleher. Uh, now moving up to the featherweight division where he'll face Jimmy Rivera. Both of these guys, bantamweights, moving up a division to take a short-notice fight. Uh, Molly McCann versus Tyler Santos. I think Tyler Santos is a really good fighter. I think she's underrated. And I think she's just going to continue to get better. She's an underdog against uh, Molly McCann. If I was to uh, recommend a play, it would be on Tyler Santos. But uh, I think she's really underrated. Molly McCann's looked really good lately, too, though, so it's not to take anything away from Molly McCann. Uh, Abdul Razak Al Hassan coming back after uh, he was... Uh, accused of uh, sexual assault and was uh, acquitted on those charges. He returns to the cage against Munir Lazez. Uh, Al Hassan misses weight in his first fight back. Not a good look, but uh, that fight will be at a catch weight of 174 pounds. Uh, Modestus Bukowski, as I mentioned, making his uh, debut against uh, Andreas Mikalidis. We'll talk to him later on in the show. Another one I really like Chris Fishgold versus Jared Gordon, taking place under uh, very interesting circumstances. Because uh, Gordon trains at Sanford MMA in Florida, and every one of his cornermen, every one of his coaches reportedly tested positive for COVID-19. And now he's going to be cornered by Paul Felder, who was doing commentary for the card. is going to leave the commentary booth in order to do commentary for this fight. Pretty unbelievable. And... uh He's going to leave the booth to corner Gordon, his former teammate at Rufus Sport. Plus, Eric Nickzik said, Hey, I'm in town. I'm, I'm I'm cornering Dan Ige. I'm cornering Joseph Benavides this weekend. Why don't I hop in too? I'll also corner, corner Jared Gordon because Jared Gordon's a good guy, one of the good guys in the sport, overcome a ton of stuff in his life. So, Jared Gordon, you've got a corner. And he's going to be facing Chris Fishgold. That's a fun fight. And uh, representing both Romania and Canada, it's the Warrior Princess. Diana Balbita trains out of Stony Creek, Ontario, and she will look to bounce back from her loss to Molly McCann in a fight against Liana Jojua of the Republic of Georgia, who is uh, also coming off her first loss in the promotion to Sarah Morris back in uh, September of last year. So that's uh, some, some Canadian representation, so to speak, on this card. And uh, we've got another Canadian in, uh, in Malcolm Gordon competing this coming weekend. Keep wanting to say Melvin Gordon because of the uh, the running back of the uh, former running back for the uh, Chargers. That was a bad breakup, Melvin Gordon and the uh, Chargers. And you've got Jack Shore versus uh, Aaron Phillips. Aaron Phillips. I saw Aaron Phillips' name and I saw a picture of him. And I'm like, he re- he reminds me of that g- of that guy with the last name Phillips who competed in the UFC all those years ago. And it was Aaron Phillips. Aaron Phillips has made his way back to the uh, UFC. I thought Aaron Phillips was a really uh, solid fighter. You know, when you watched him in his uh, previous UFC fights. He looked good. I mean, he, he lost his fights, but he looked like a guy that uh, belonged to the UFC. And I just thought he was an older fighter. I didn't think that he was uh, a younger guy. Still only 30 years of age. He was uh, in the UFC back in 2014. So he was only like 20, 24 when he was in the UFC last time around. Lost to Sam Matt lost to Matt Hobart, but he was—he looked good in those fights, I thought. I thought he looked like he had some upside. Now, many years away from the sport, I'm interested to see how he looks against a guy like Jack Shore. Jack Shore's a solid fighter. And the uh, odds for that fight, Jack Shore's a minus 700 favorite, so I think Jack Shore is solid, but man, you might want to take a flyer on Aaron Phillips at plus 500. Darren Phillips is a solid fighter, man. You know, you look at him, you look at him being 0-2 in the UFC, but I don't think that that uh, tells the whole story. Although Aaron Phillips apparently his accountant is going to be in this corner, so uh, you know take take for that what you will. But uh, he lost three in a row. He also lost to Chris Gutierrez, um, who has looked great in the UFC. So that he lost to Gutierrez, but he took a short notice call to rejoin the UFC. But he's he's on a he's on a five fight win streak. All of them in finishes. Four first round fin- or sorry, almost all of them f- finishes. Three first round finishes, one second round finish, and one unanimous decision. So he's looked good since leaving the UFC and now he uh he returns to the UFC on short notice against Jack Shore. Well, I'll be. So uh that those are your uh your fights for the UFC and you know Dana White said something interesting that I want to uh mention that he spoke about earlier today and I thought that uh it was worth uh, discussing because I think that uh it, he raises a really interesting point which was he talks about how the brand, the UFC brand, is doing so well right now, and uh, you you talk about uh, what uh, he's doing right now during the pandemic, and he says that they've lost, I think it was 110 million dollars in terms of gate, but he says that he was willing to bet on the UFC by by running these events. Because it's going to help the the brand awareness. It's going to help the brand recognition. It's going to help the amount of eyeballs on the sport. And he's hoping to, because the sp- the sports world was down, he's betting on the UFC bringing in a new audience, new people that are going to stick around. And I know a lot of my coworkers at TSN that cover a lot of these other sports have really been watching the UFC because it was the only sport for some time. So he's hoping that a lot of the people that they brought in during the time of the pandemic that had no other sports to watch got into the sport to a degree that you're basically... Going to uh, build your your brand's audience, you're going to build brand recognition. You're going to, he says that the amount of merchandise sales so far this year is already more than 2019. So he's hoping that he's going to just build upon the audience of the UFC that will eventually pay it off uh, over time. I thought that that's a, that's a really an interesting way of looking at things because a lot of these sports, like I don't know how the NFL is going to thrive with no gate. Like I just don't know, like. And I, and looking at the numbers right now for the coronavirus in the U.S., like I, I don't, I just do not see how they're going to be able to bring in a significant gate for these events, that they're going to put all these people in stadiums. And like you know, a lot of people are talking about herd immunity, and I mean, nobody really knows if you can get the virus again if you've already had it, and nobody really knows what the long term ramifications of the disease are. Where a piece came out today in AP talking about heart damage, long term heart damage. Potentially from having the coronavirus, that they're seeing a lot of people that had it suffering uh, damage to their organs. See, I mean, like this is not something you want to mess around with, folks. <laughs> like, you know, there's lots of rhetoric going around about, oh, don't wear, I don't want to wear a mask, and all this stuff. It's like, I mean, listen, I'm no doctor, I'm no epidemiologist, but it seems to me this is not something that you want to uh, you want to play around with. You know, I don't want to, you know, don't roll the dice on this one, folks. <laughs> I mean. I mean, believe me, I, I don't don't look at me don't look to me for any sort of medical advice. I just think that uh people need to be cautious and as a result of that I just don't see there being strong gates for any of these sports anytime soon. And I think the UFC made a really good bet on themselves by taking extreme precaution with their business in terms of the the virus, in terms of making sure that their fighters are safe. And Dana White said in August you might see the fight the fight island be utilized again because you, you wanna have your, your international fighters compete. You want to um, the the fight island thing seems to be working out really well for them. They're able to keep the bubble pretty clean. It seems I, I, there haven't been any reports uh, of anything on site so far. And who knows what happens with Las Vegas? It could shut down again. Numbers there are not looking promising. So I just think you have to. I mean, the UFC just deserves a ton of credit. They just. I mean, there were a lot of question marks early on, and I still think that them trying to go to um lenore california and do an event um at tachi palace was a that was a misstep it, it, it i mean it just was but i think everything since then has been and i and i think the Jacare situation was also not a great uh, not a great look but i think everything since then they've been so on point and you just have to give them credit like even even the harshest critics of this of of how the sport has dealt with the pandemic they have to like they have to look in the mirror and say listen Maybe we should have given them a little bit more more leeway here because nobody really knew what was going on. It was a day-to-day thing, and Dana White approached it that way. He said everything was changing on a day-to-day basis, and we just adapted, and they did. They've spent a ton of money on testing. They've been way ahead of the curve. So I just think that we need to give the UFC a lot of credit for what they've done. (laughs) if, If you think I'm wrong, you can let me know, but I... I don't think that that's uh that's that's not a hot take, you know, and that's not trying to to grease the u f c or 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 pump their tires it's just it is what it is they've done a great job and they've reacted on a day to day basis on the fly in in spectacular fashion. I saw that uh hakim dawadu uh is reportedly going to be facing Zubaira Tukhugov at u f c two fifty three I think that's a great matchup for for both those guys. I think that's a fun one we're gonna see how well Daodu's uh, wrestling has gotten and we're going to see how good Tahukov's striking has continued to evolve because i th- I think Tahukov's striking is extremely underrated, but he's going to be facing a guy with elite striking in hakim dawadu now uh anything else here we should touch on before we go to these guests and just looking at some of the headlines but uh I don't know let's uh let's get to our first guest who will be headlining UFC Fight Night tomorrow night. And that is Calvin Cater, who will be facing Dan Ige in the main event. And he joins us now on the TSN MMA show. I'm joined now by Boston's finest, Calvin Cater down in uh, Abu Dhabi for the main event. Yourself, Dan Ige, uh, another main event for you. Uh, How does this one feel different than others? Uh,
1: Well, just happen to have another opportunity. Uh, This time i get to go out and capitalize, get the job done. But happy to be out here. Uh, weather's a little different. Russia was cold as shit. And uh, Yas Islands is pretty much on fire out here. It's about 100, 510 degrees every day.
0: That's pretty crazy. Uh, I guess the parallel between that and Russia must be pretty, uh, pretty big.
1: Yeah, yeah. But either way, man, I'm really more, more so focused on what's going to happen in the octagon uh, come Wednesday night. <coughs> or actually Wednesday morning here. But uh, yeah, we're almost time now. Almost ready to go.
0: Yeah, you mentioned it's in the morning. Does that change anything for you in terms of your approach?
1: Uh, just, just the sleep schedule.
0: But uh, we've
1: adjusted. Um, you know, well, the the UFC's helped us out with that trifecta, and um, my, my team's all prepared, and we're dialed in at this point to the sleep schedule, just in time to fight and then go home and be all messed up again.
0: <laughs> yeah, what is that? What is I guess some of the tips that they have in terms of keeping on schedule? Because you've basically got to stay on, I guess, the same schedule you'd be on in Boston. But, of course, your diurnal rhythm must be missed, uh, messed up because the sun is coming up at a time where you probably want it to be down.
1: Yeah, we're waking up. Uh, we're, we're, we're going to bed early, waking up early, and, um, you know, still getting our eight hours in, getting up. Should be getting up around 4 a.m., I want to say, fight day. Shake it off a little bit and then get ready for um, about a 7, 7 a.m. fight time, I believe. So we've been working out in the mornings, getting used to getting up and getting that push in, and I feel great.
0: How good are the blackout curtains? That's the one thing I've been wondering
1: about this because they—they better be damn good. You ain't kidding, man. They, yeah, they're not bad over here. Blackout curtains are all right, and um, and yeah, just other than uh, you know, I'm in the room with my, my teammate Rob Font, Coach uh, Jake Manini, and uh, obviously Manager Tizzy Charlie Carlos Neto. So we're all just uh, we're all doing what we can. We were quarantined the first forty-eight, and then we kind of got out after that. Had a little a little bit of fun on the island. And now we're all ready to just go out and do what we do
0: best. Now, my podcast co-host, uh, Joe Valtellini, a mutual friend of ours and someone who you've trained with before, is out there. Are you going to get any reps with Joe before the fight? i like to see Joe, man.
1: He's, uh, I'm happy he's out here uh, with another fighter, Malcolm. Uh, I wish them both the best of luck. And, uh, yeah, I definitely want to bump into Joe, pick his brain. And uh, and it's been a while. I haven't seen him since Toronto. But we've been keeping it in touch all the way into the Jeremy Stevens fight. He definitely helped me out. And, uh, and. Yeah, it's good to see him out here, such a qualified coach to be able to represent, you know, some some top-level athletes at, at the highest level.
0: Now, one thing people always said about your fight with Zabit was, if this fight had continued beyond the third round, you would have won it because you had such a dominant third round, he was slowing down. Do you feel like having a five-round fight this time around in the main event favors you?
1: I hope it doesn't take five rounds. You know, we, I'd like to get in and out early if I could, but... Um... I'm ready for a five round. I'm ready for whatever happens in there. Uh, ideally, we go out, get the job done early, and maybe hit the links before we head
0: back. Now, I spoke to your opponent about an hour ago, and uh, we were talking about the featherweight division and just how stacked it is anybody in the top 15 in my opinion could hang with the champion in this division how how important is it to get an early finish because having longevity in this division I mean look at your your previous one of your previous opponents Shane Burgos and his war he just had with Josh Emmett like your longevity in terms of your career can take a toll facing such strong competition I think this is the deepest division in the world right now
1: yeah I'd agree with that and that's uh, that's a that's a good point right there my fighting style uh, you know I like to inflict a lot of damage. And these guys, they're real good at, at, uh, at giving it as well, man. We're, 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 it's, it's not easy what we do, but um, you know we train every day to be prepared for situations like this. And, um, and yeah, I got a tough test ahead of me with Danny Ige on a six-fight win streak. But come Wednesday uh, morning here, uh, that, that win streak comes to an end.
0: When you looked at the main event this past weekend, Max Holloway, Alexander Volkanovsky, the rematch, how did you score that one? Same way you did. Forty eight forty seven Volkanovsky? No, that's how you had it? Yeah, I had it forty eight
1: forty seven Volkanovsky. I gotta say it was close. We all gotta give it that third round, right? I just it's tough. I think you scored as one full fight and not by rounds. You know, I think maybe you gotta give it a max there. He controlled the cage the whole fight, but when you divvy it up in between rounds, sometimes you can get lost in the scoring. So um yeah, great fight either way. And um, you know, now now it's on to uh, climbing the ranks and hopefully getting that shot against the champ one day soon.
0: How did you think I had it scored?
1: Uh, no, I was just I was bullshitting because most of the people <laughs> had it scored
0: max. Actually, I had three rounds to two for Volkanovski. The, the problem is, it reminded me a lot of the GSP versus Hendricks fight. You know, after that fight, almost everybody thought Hendricks won because the rounds that Hendricks won were so much more dominant than the ones the GSP won, but they were still ten nine rounds. So exactly. I've always I've always thought that you need to. Assi- exactly. Yeah, you, you need a system that's not like the boxing system. You need a system that has decimal points. You need to have 10, 10 to 9.5 for a round like the third round for Volkanovsky, If you're going to score for him, that's a 10 to 9.5 round. But for the two match rounds in rounds 1 and 2, those are 10 to 8.5 rounds. The problem is that these yeah. commissions can barely judge, let alone do math, and that's what the big <laughs> hang-up is.
1: Aaron, you're, you're ahead of the game, brother. I preach, and uh, that's where I meant where if you just scored it as one big round, you know, one big fight... I think you might have a different outcome, but the scoring system is the way it is, and, and the champ showed a lot of heart to come back being down two rounds and, and pulled it out. So uh, you know, hats off to him, and I like his mindset saying he wants to fight contenders because he knows it's a stacked division, and before he jumps weight classes like everybody seems to be doing nowadays, um, you know he wants to give the contenders a shot, so I respect that.
0: Because if you take that scoring system and you put that into your Zabit fight, it's either a draw or perhaps you win that's by half saying, a point, man. right?
1: That's shit. Yeah, it's the same thing. Uh a lot of oos and ahs, and, and it's like, you know, damage should be what's uh, paramount in the sport, you know, because in a, on the street that that's how it happens out in the real world, you know, that's how it happens. It's about damage and and um uh, yeah, I think Max could have had it seen the other way if the scoring was a little bit different, but Dana seemed a little upset with it as well. Maybe he'll revisit uh, how the scoring system set up, and maybe it might be good for the future, you know, to to have that further
0: assessed. Is Ige the type of uh, opponent that you embrace, a guy that you know is going to come forward, is going to turn this into a, a big, big striking battle um, that's kind of conducive to how you win fights?
1: I embrace, uh, you know, all opponents. They all pose different threats, <clears throat> but, um, you know, really it's more about me going out and implement, implementing... My game plan against them, and they got to adjust to me. But um, Danny Gay, you know, we're similar in the fact that we've been uh, overlooked most of our career, and people, um, you know, don't really give us that shot or are due, And here we are as the main event, so it's a good checkpoint for both of us. And uh, I'm not like his previous opponents. So I'm not going to lo- overlook Danny Gay, and uh, you know, he's going to be in for a handful come Wednesday.
0: Did you guys debut on the same card? I didn't look this up, but I feel like you guys did.
1: I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, I, I know we recently just competed um, in Jacksonville, but I was, I was, I believe, the show before him or something along those lines. And, you know, we're both, we're both hungry, uh, young, up and coming competitors right now. And, and you see us being busy while most of, the other, most of these other guys are just kind of sitting back, seeing how things kind of play out. And, um, you know, I think that pays dividends in the long run. What was your debut? Was your debut in Boston? 2017 it was the fight before that it was in anaheim uh, okay. in july okay so that's where i went wrong
0: because i think i think dan's debut was in boston was, the, I was that he event in Boston? Right. Arce. Yeah, he did fight. yeah yeah he did he fought in boston um yeah yeah that was a good fight uh that was actually his last loss he's won six in a row um this sport's all about momentum how important is it for you to continue your momentum uh versus his because that that's when you start ta- getting into title discussions is when you have that kind of momentum
1: yeah, right. You've you got to snowball these wins together. And, and uh, I feel like we've both done a, a you know, well, aside from you know, the previous, I got a good shot to rebound. And, yeah, like you said, momentum's uh, working either for you or against you every day. And, and right now I got it. I got a grip of it. And I'm going to take full advantage. And it'll be a, a good win over a solid opponent in Dan Ege and, and show why I belong at
0: the top of the division. Other than your old man on the front lawn, who's the toughest opponent you've had so far?
1: <laughs> you still remember that story. That's awesome. <laughs> Toughest opponent? I mean, they're all pretty tough, but I, I have to go with Burgos. Maybe we had a good fight, three round. Uh, I got the finish in the third. Those are always better than the ones the first round finishes because you go through a good war. And um, yeah, I respect Burgos a lot, tough kid. And and uh, I, I'd have to probably give him the nod on that.
0: All right. Well, it's the main event Wednesday. Yourself, Dan Ige. You can watch it on TSN in Canada. Uh, all the best, Calvin. Look forward to watching that one and uh, your continued success in the UFC.
1: Thank you, Aaron. Appreciate it, brother. Good talking to
0: you. That was Calvin Cater, and now we go to his opponent, Dan Ige. Dan is on a six-fight win streak, and it's his first main event in the UFC, and he joins us now on the TSN MMA show. I'm pleased to be joined now by 50K Dan Ige, who's in the main event. That's pretty cool. Before I ask you any questions, I want I want to hear about that. What do you think of that? I mean, that's a pretty awesome accomplishment for somebody so early in their UFC career.
2: Uh, this is a huge opportunity for me. Um, grateful and fortunate to be where I am today. Uh, obviously, coming off six wins, you know that's not easy to do. But um, and coming off that win over Barboza, we were fortunate enough to earn ourselves a main event spot. And I know the UFC was scrambling for a main event for a long time. And I happened to be ready. Calvin Cater was ready. And
0: you know, here we are now,
2: a couple days away.
0: Yeah, six in a row. I wanted to ask you about this again, because I asked you about it after the last fight, but now that the dust has settled a little bit, I want to hear about your opinion on this. So, Barboza's manager said he was going to appeal that decision. As someone who works in management, does that rub you the wrong way? Hey, you told me that the night of the fight.
2: It's like, hey, great job, but we're going to appeal the decision. I'm like, yeah, go go after yourself. But You know, I mean, you know... It is what it is, you know, that's how. That's what fighting is, you know, we're fighting the best guys in the world, you know, there's close fights out there, you know, if you go back and watch the fight, you know, I've watched this fight 10 times, and I'm not, obviously I'm biased to myself, but I watch that, but I don't even get them fired up, we're past that, we're on to bigger things, we're the main event, against complicated, <laughs> that's what matters. <laughs>
0: Well, speaking of close fights, the uh, featherweight championship was contested. Your, your fellow uh, uh, statesman, uh, Max Holloway, in the main event or uh, sorry, the co-main event against Alexander Volkanovsky. Another close fight that, that really could have gone either way. How did you see it?
2: I I had Max winning that fight. I really do. Um, but, you know, I, I in a way, I feel for Alex because I know what it feels like for him to, for everyone to attack him in backlash saying he lost, he lost, he lost, he lost. It, it sucks, you know, with the judging, this and that, but you know, at the end of the day, Alex, Alexander Volkanovski won the fight. But in my opinion, my judging, I believe Max clearly won round one, two, and three. And even round four or five, he was still, you know, coming forward, landing good shots. Um, Volkanovski got some takedowns in there. And, you know, it's, it, it sucks to see, you know, Hawaii get robbed of a championship. But, you know, that's why I'm here. And uh, I have a job to do. And I'm going to go out there and get a win over Cater and, you know, try to get that belt back for Hawaii.
0: You know, it's weird. I'm kind of in the minority because I thought Volkanovski won 3 four, five. But I also said if somebody would have scored at 49-46 for Max, I, I would have been totally fine with, with that uh, particular judgment. I guess it depends on what each judge is looking for. But I think the, the flaw in the judging is it's very similar to GSP versus Hendricks. Like, GSP, you can make a case, one, three of those rounds. But the rounds that Hendricks won were were more dominant, but they weren't exactly 10-8 rounds. And I, that's how I kind of see that last one going. I thought Max definitively won one and two, no questions asked. But They weren't 10-8 rounds. So then if the other three rounds are close, you can kind of swing it any which way.
2: People are getting, you know, fed up with the judge. And I just feel like, I mean, the media and... I, I really think we're on our way to a new judging criteria. I don't know what the solution will be, but hopefully something soon that's a little more fair on all ends. I think this three judges just doesn't set it. You know, doesn't. You know, I don't. Know. Don't leave it to the judges. I could. I got better take my own advice too.
0: <laughs> I've always been a proponent of a, of a half point system where those first two rounds would have been like ten to eight and a half for Max. And then you have the third round would be 10 to nine and a half for Volkanovsky. And that way you can kind of, I mean, the boxing system just doesn't work in a a three or five round MMA fight, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, for sure. I I haven't heard of that, but that sounds cool. Good idea. Yeah.
0: So Calvin Cater, your opponent, this guy also has a lot of momentum right now. Um, I I read a quote from your, your coach, Eric Nixick, that your strategy is to drown your opponent and you're willing to drown in order to drown your opponent. Can you walk me through that philosophy a little bit?
2: It's just kind of the mindset we apply to, you know, our everyday training, our day of life. And, you know, it's something I am willing to go through. I'm willing to walk through the gates of hell to achieve a victory. And, um, you know, my my coach always tells me, you know, you, you can't drown a guy by holding his head under the water. You have to be willing to swim down to the bottom with him and drown yourself. And uh, that's something, you know, I've I've developed uh just through training and my mindset and my whole entire life growing up. And um, it's a mindset that's constantly growing and getting stronger, and that's the mindset I'm going to bring to this fight.
0: Do you think that's what sets apart the good fighters and the great fighters?
2: For sure. You know, it's the ones that are willing to put everything on the line and, you know, take risks. And that's why I'm here, because I I take risks and I take opportunities. You look at every single guy in the top five, of the featherweight division right now, these guys haven't even fought for over a year, be- and I don't know why. Maybe they're injured, or you know, they want to sit out, or they're you know being prima donnas and don't you know they want to sit and wait for the right fight. But I, I never sit and wait for the right fight. I just fight, 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 and I keep winning and winning, and that's why I'm getting these opportunities.
0: The featherweight division is just so crazy because you look at it from 1 to 15 and I feel like anybody can beat anybody on any given night. I feel like you could hang with Volkanovski, that Cater could hang with Volkanovski, like any of, anybody in that top 15 uh, can, can do that. But now that you're in that top 15, you're kind of in that elite club where you're going to just be facing the toughest of toughest opponents. Um, do you feel like it makes it difficult to have longevity in, in the uh, division because of that?
2: Well, you're absolutely right. Anyone in the top 15 has the ability to be a champion um, right now in this current state. And, and um, you know, my my focus, uh, I'm not. I do think about longevity, and I and I train accordingly. I'm I, I'm very smart with my training. Uh, I'm healthy outside of the gym. I I live a healthy lifestyle, righteous lifestyle, and you know my but. I have a goal, and I have to beat the best guys in the world, and I want to fight the best guys in the world. That's what I asked for after I beat Barboza. I said I want to fight the best guys in the world. I want to fight the Caters. I want to fight the Zombies. I want to fight the Yair's, the Volkanovskis, and um, I uh, so I'm getting exactly what I've been asking for, and you know I'm super excited, and I I I don't want to fight. I mean, (laughs) I don't know. I don't want to fight bombs, I want to fight the best and prove myself because it's all about proving to myself what, I, what I'm capable of and what I can uh, achieve.
0: Absolutely. You are on a six fight win streak and uh, it's, it's been very impressive uh, thus far. You talk about what you do outside of the case to stay healthy and I watched a fight like Emmett versus Burgos and those guys are just they are unbelievable fighters. Uh, but you, you've got to imagine that a fight like that will take a toll on somebody's uh, long-term prospects. So, what do you do outside of the cage in order to make sure that if you are in a fight like that, that you're able to, you know, replenish your systems and, and your health?
2: Um, I, I, I take my recovery very seriously, my nutrition, my health. You know, getting ice baths, sauna every day. I, I listen to uh, listen to my body. I I use devices to track heart rate, HRV. All the next level stuff that, you know, that's going to take my game to the next level. Like, this is what separates me from, from the most. And, you know, I, I really think the sport is evolving and there's always new ways in science and technology. And I try to take advantage of every single um, everything I can to get an edge in the sport. And um, whether it might be blackout curtains or sleeping at a certain temperature degree. But I, I really, um, you know, health is is the most important thing we have in this life and obviously this sport is can be very damaging to our health but you know I, I try to make it last as long as possible and I I, I really think I have a long career. Uh, I will have a long career and a long, healthy career and I'll and I'll walk away from this game healthy still.
0: The Barboza fight you took on uh, very short notice, this fight was relatively short notice as well. But the difference here is that this is a five-round fight. So if 10 is the most prepared you can be and one is the least prepared you can be, I'm sure you're not going to give yourself a one. But, but how prepared are you for a five-round fight given the amount of time that you've had to train for this particular bout?
2: I'm 100% prepared, you know. No, I'm 100% prepared. I Obviously, we would, we would love an eight-week camp, this and that. But after the Barboza fight, dude, I, I was not 100% prepared going into that fight. I, I was fat. Dude, I was fat. I never, I never went into a fight like fat and like not healthy. I mean, not, I was healthy, but in the sense that we were in quarantine, it's like, dude, there's not much you can do from going from Netflix and lifting some weights and Netflix and lift some weights. Like I can't do anything. And then we got the call. I trained maybe eight days in the actual gym, like MMA training, got some, did some contact training and uh, still went in there and got a W. But uh, that taught me a lesson It's like, dude, you never know when these opportunities are gonna come along and I got right back into the gym. You know, uh, actually I took one week off. I got, got, you know, did some mountain biking but got right back into the gym and I trained all the way up to this fight and we got the, we got the call on four weeks notice but I was training and I was getting better the whole entire time and I feel the best I've ever felt and I, I can't wait to go out and show that.
0: Usually when someone comes off a, a barboza fight, they've gone through hell and it's it's a long time to recover. Um do you feel like you're better at recovering than a lot of other athletes?
2: Um I don't know. I I, I didn't take too much damage in that fight. You know, I, I expected worse and my I always expect the worst, you know, and hope for the best. But um I expect my legs to just be smashed to bits and pieces. And uh but luckily I you know, I I I'm very good at measuring my distance and I was never in his perfect kicking range. I, I smothered him when when I had to, and I was out of range when I had to be, and I fought at my range and my time, you know. So um, I didn't take too much damage besides the I got a little cut on my eye, you know, And uh, but that's about it, you know, some bits, you know, bumps and bruises, but nothing too bad.
0: All right, well, Calvin Cater is the type of guy that uh, will also push a, a pretty furious pace. Um, you know, a lot of people thought that had that fight with Zabit been five rounds, that he would have won that fight. And I know you probably will sway towards Zabit given that he's a a dominance (laughs) client and you work with him. But uh, do you think that Cater and yourself for five rounds, the the, the pace is going to be a little bit slower than it normally would be for a a three-round fight?
2: Well, you know, going back to that, and I do agree with you, it's like Cater did pick it up in that third round. And, you know, if that was a five-round fight, he could have very easily, I mean, very well have won that fight. Not easily, but, um, you know, the pace, the reason, hater has a great gas tank, but you don't see him get tired because people go out there and play his game. Everyone just goes and stands and boxes with him. You don't see much, uh, many guys try to mix it up with him, but he's very good at, you know, like fish gold, for example. Not not a very known guy, but he came out there, and we weathered the storm well, but he was able to mix it up, up, down, strike, hit him with some clean shots, took him down, but he, he redlined it too hard, and, you know... I think that's something I'm I'm really, I'm I'm getting better at, is finding that pace, and I I tend to get stronger as the rounds go on, or actually towards the end of the fight, I never fought five rounds, but usually towards that third round, I always feel like I'm just barely getting my groove, and um, I'm excited to push into those championship rounds, round four, round five, and really find that, you know, find that rhythm, and, you know, my coach and I, Eric, we've been doing a lot of fight simulations and we're able to push those rounds four and five really hard. And, you know, I, have been recovering very well. Um, so I'm excited to, you know, test myself.
0: And finally, what's it like for the gym to have you in the main event on Wednesday and Joe in the main event on Saturday?
2: It's awesome, dude. We've been feeding off each other. You know, if we have a bad day, you know, if I have a bad day, Joe picks me up. If he has a bad day, I'll pick him up, but just been great energy. And, um, you know, he's hungry hungry to get a title. I'm hungry to get a title. And we've just really been pushing each other. And every time I see that guy, I smile. He's a great, great guy to have in the room. And um, I'm super stoked to be competing days apart. Uh, it's going to be fun. You
0: know, as, as media members, we're supposed to be as unbiased as possible. But I think that a lot of us would smile if we saw Joe B. hoist the gold on, uh, on Saturday.
2: Oh, most definitely. You know, that guy... If anyone deserves a world title,
0: that guy does for sure. You know, every
2: the, he, He's going to get it. He's
0: got to get it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dan. Well, best of luck on Wednesday. Looking forward to your, your uh, fight with Calvin Cater. It uh, should be a fun one, five rounds uh, on a Wednesday night. It's the type of card I love because there are a lot of under-the-radar athletes on this one, and uh, it's great to see you in the main event. Yeah,
2: thank you so much, Aaron. Uh, we'll talk after. Get the W.
0: That was Dan Egan. Now we go to our final guest. It's Modestus Bukowskis, who makes his UFC debut. He's the former Cage Warriors light heavyweight champion. And uh, the Lithuanians are taking over in the UFC, uh, as well as UFC media with myself and uh, and Brian Campbell, both of Lithuanian descent. Here he is, Modestus Bukowskis, on the TSN MMA Show. This weekend, we've got Rosnama Yunus representing Lithuania. You've got me representing Lithuania. My dad was born there. Brian Campbell of CBS, Lithuanian Ancestry. And Modestas Bukowskis is making his debut next Wednesday uh, on Fight Island representing Lithuania. It's great to see all these Lithuanians
3: in the UFC now, finally. Oh, yeah. Tell me about that. I didn't even know that you were a Lithuanian. But that's, you know, that's awesome, man. And we're going to have to go out there and make you proud now, aren't we?
0: And my dad's like you. He was uh, born in Lithuania and moved when he was three to Canada, whereas you moved to the UK
3: yeah crazy man such a small world eh (laughs) absolutely well uh
0: so you're doing um your your first fight against uh, andreas michelidis what do you know about andreas because this is a short notice opponent
3: yeah uh from what i know he's actually tougher than my last opponent uh he's a much more all-rounded fighter uh predominantly we've seen him uh you know sort of excel in the striking aspect but uh you know, like like I say, he's just a very all rounded athlete. Like, you know, he gives trouble in all areas, but um, you know, it seems that he sort of gasses a little bit later on down the line, you know, when it comes to second and third round, if he's been put into a bit of a battle, you know, he 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 ties a bit more easily than others. Um but yeah, I mean listen, he he he's a great opponent. Like I say, this this is a I think this as a replacement is great. I like I love the fact that it's tough. I love that it's a step up because at the end of the day that's just gonna make me step my own game up. So uh, you know, and I've been preparing to, you know, fight the best athletes all the time anyways. Like I said, I was preparing for Vinicius as if he was the best athlete there was around. And so that means that I've gone into this fight with those sort of preparations. So obviously I'll be ready for anyone.
0: So you have a bit of an interesting story in terms of how you got to where you are now. You've won six in a row, but before that, you were training at Jackson's for a little bit, training with the likes of John Jones, Andre Arlovsky, uh, but you weren't able to win fights. You, you, I guess, started your career four and two, and there was something missing that you figured out. You had a bit of a mental hurdle. Walk me through that and what, what needed to change.
3: Yeah so I mean th- there was a couple of different things that needed to change uh I think the main thing really was uh w- was mentally I think that was a really big uh barrier that we sort of had to overcome and that was done in 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 a, in a couple of ways uh but basically like I-, I was a bit too much of a sportsman I think yeah, you've got to be a sportsman. You've got to be respectful and stuff like that. But when you're in there, you've got to be an animal. Like, you've got to be an absolute. You've got to be ferocious. Like, you can't just, you know, you've got to go out there and want to hurt someone. You can't just be good. I mean, or at least in my, it, you know, for me to perform at my best, I can't just go in there thinking, I'm going to go and win this fight and this and that. No, I've got to go in and hurt the guy. Like, that. that's my intention. Otherwise, he's going to do the same to me. So that was one thing that I developed over time just through through a different couple of ways. Uh, one thing that, as well after those two losses, I, I just, you know, uh, I realised that I was um, severely overtrained. I think a lot of, if I can give any advice to any younger fighters, it would be, you know, don't train too much you know you've got to listen to your body like you this is all about longevity in this career you know you want to make sure you're training appropriately so uh that's another thing that i, I made sure i trained appropriately and at the right times and and, and stuff like that because otherwise my body w- was just not hacking it. i was trying to train three times a day at 100 percent, which you just absolutely can't do another thing nutrition i changed um that's obviously why it then uh you know sort of filtered in towards me um moving up a weight class just you know nutritionally i I was eating but i wasn't eating i guess e- enough like you know I, I worked with a nutritionist and you know i remember before i used to try and do weight cuts on my own i was eating like 1800 calories and i would lose the same amount of weight as it as when i was eating 3000 calories on his program in a week so you know if, if if that's to show anything about you know having the right nutrition i mean you know like i say that that speaks volumes um and another thing was i started doing boxing sparring and uh um, one thing there that was a big thing like i was sparring with like some some quite high level boxers and uh listen i mean the first time i went into boxing they literally dropped me twice and didn't even think about it like you know they and they kept wanting to try and like literally you know take my head off and then you know that sort of you know, and, and they could see like all the boxers like they're like, oh well, he's got a good skill set, but I just didn't have that ferocity, didn't have that, you know, that fire to like really want to hurt someone in in, in you know, because in a sparring session I mean it's sparring, but you know, but then afterwards I started you know, improving my skill set and, and going to spar other guys again and it just gave me that like I said, that animalistic sort of you just gotta go and put it on someone. I think that really carried over and that's what really helped me to sort of excel now because now I'll go into every fight, you know, wanting to wanted to bring out the best of my abilities in in the only way i know how which is to 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 be in there like a killer basically
0: so when you were young and you're training with john jones how did those training sessions go he was the best in the world you were about 21 22 years old
3: yeah i mean listen it was absolutely amazing it was so many life lessons you know i mean I, I was extremely grateful that i was able to train with such a high level athlete um he gave me so much and you know it 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 really just showed me that uh you know that i can that i will one day be able to perform with the guys at the highest level you know obviously I wasn't able to do that straight away after I'd left at Jackson's, but uh, you know it just showed me that like you know like one day you are going to be able to compete with the cream of the crop, and you know the the, the fact that I, you know he wanted to spar with me every single day and stuff like that, you know that even speaks volumes itself. Like you know every you know every day pretty much almost for like t- almost ten weeks or whatever we'd grapple a lot, would wrestle, would we- spar and stuff like that, and the fact that he came to me to to uh to to want sparring stuff so i was absolutely honored do you know what i mean so you know sparring with literally the greatest fighter in the world obviously i wanted to help as much as i could and at the same time obviously improve my own skill set so um it was an amazing like i said it was an amazing experience and and, and it just gave it, it put light on the fact that i can become a star one day um i just need to you know i need to go through my lessons and, and this and that which i which i have done and, uh, yeah, now I feel I'm, I'm on, like, 100% the right path to go out and and really start making some amazing performances.
0: So before you went into combat sports, you played basketball in the state of Louisiana. Uh, what made yeah. you decide to move to Louisiana? And uh, tell me about what your basketball career was like.
3: Right. So, um, obviously, I, I mean, I've been doing martial arts since I was five. My dad sort of, you know, I wouldn't necessarily, I guess you could say, force me into it. I mean, you know. And at the end of the day, like, yes, I loved it I like I, I wanted to do it. And, you know, I was competing in it uh, a lot and stuff like that. But, you know, I got to the point where, you know, I wanted to try other things. I wanted to try other sports and, and see how well I'd fare. And obviously basketball was one of those sports, one of those sports that I really um you know, it seemed like I, I could pick up quite quickly. You know, martial arts, obviously, I picked up very quickly from a young age. But uh, with basketball, it just seemed like I had another knack for it. And I thought, you know what, let me give this a try. And then, you know, next thing you know, I started playing in the in the London teams and doing well. And then uh, one of my coaches, you know, he he used to go to school in Louisiana. And he, he uh, called up the coach and stuff like that, sent some tapes. And then next thing you know, I, I was heading off on a plane at 16 years old on my own to Louisiana, and uh, yeah, it was my goal, you know, to to want to play in the NBA, to be a professional. I wanted to, you know, go and play Division One college basketball and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I had a I had quite lofty goals, but at the end of the day, I you know, I put the work in and stuff like that. And, um, you know, at the end of the, you know, I just guess the circumstances weren't there for me to to really uh, make a name for myself. I only had one year of eligibility. I was there for two years, but I only had one year of eligibility to play, so I only had one year to really make a stand statement as to you know show who i was and you know it's obviously a very different game out in america you know they're very high level so in comparison to to england obviously they, they they are like a step above and their athleticism's insanity like they were doing strength and conditioning programs from like the nfl and the nba and stuff like that because i played a bit of american football as well and you know they took everything very seriously it's like very high level athletic coaching at a high school level and this is why america seems to dominate all the sports because you know they have that sort of level of coaching where countries like england don't have it you know you're you're trying you're you're kind of thinking like well if countries like england or any others for that matter would have that sort of you know focus and 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 stuff like that in in their schools like how well would they do in sports afterwards because that's where I learned all my like strength and condition stuff like how to do a proper clean and press with good technique and stuff like that. And that's where I gained most of my strength really. I mean, listen, I uh I went out there benching like one eight one hundred and eighty five pounds So then leaving there benching about two forty five. So so it was it was quite a dramatic change. Um, you know, I I got like one division three school, you know, scout me and stuff like that, but I had nothing really that that like solidified and you know, that's what then sort of gave me the uh the motivation you know to talk to my dad after and say yeah. you know like you know because it was my goal ever since i was a kid to be a professional athlete and not only be a professional athlete but to perform at the highest level at that sport so you know because I, I put my heart and soul into everything that i tried so my dad goes listen well why don't you come home get back into training start the mma again and uh, we'll, we'll ramp it up back up again but like i said i've had such amazing experiences out in america i actually think i may have uh been a better american football player but i had to stop playing in order for because they the two seasons overlapped and i had one year of eligibility so but you know like i say i'm very grateful for the experiences i had it was absolutely amazing
0: well that's someone from toronto i do need to point out that uh, nick nurse coached in england for like 10 years so i've got to give a shout out to nick nurse because he won an nba championship off of coaching in the uk
3: okay well (laughs) like I like, the judge to, to be fair, like I say in the, in the, in the UK, like you know the the game stepped up a massive level. They have got some like very like t- top level players and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean listen, with him coaching out from out in the UK and stuff like that, I can I can tell why there's going to be loads of like really you know talented basketball players.
0: Who's your favorite Lithuanian basketball player of all time?
3: Um, I think I have to be Sabornis. I think he's he he's like one of the one of the guys who who really like broke through I've, after uh uh Marc as well uh, was really good i think he played for golden state i liked him a bit a li- little bit more because obviously he was, he, he was uh, i think a point guard or a shooting guard and, you know, um, I always like used to look up stories and stuff like that. And, you know, um, obviously because he had the same first name as me. And so, you know, like my dad was telling me about him and stuff like that. So, I mean, listen, they've had like a load of amazing uh, Lithuanian basketball players, some that are playing in the top level in the NBA now. So, you know, like, like I said, they're, they're, for such a small country, they're always producing some really high-level athletes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I, I watched Arvita Sabonis growing up when he was on Portland. And he was a little bit past his prime at the time, but the kind of passing that he, uh, the, the passing <laughs> abilities he had was just unbelievable.
3: I loved watching him yeah. play. That's exactly what my dad was saying. He said, like, imagine if Sabonis would have actually got to the NBA a little bit sooner and, and, and stuff like that, you know, how much of a difference that would have made. But, he, I mean, listen, he made a statement even when he did go out there. I mean, to be honest, when you're a seven-foot center with those sort of skills, it's, you know, you're, 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 you're always going to be making an impact. So, yeah, it's good, man.
0: So you were the Cage Warriors champion, the the best regional promotion in in Europe. Um, How did you uh, get to Cage Warriors and and end up uh, working your way up the ranks there?
3: So um, I think it actually came about from my pro debut because my debut – Listen, I'm not a guy to turn down fights, and you know anyone they offer me, I'm gonna go and take it. And because I believe in my skill set, I'm gonna go beat people. So I got offered a very tough opponent, another Lithuanian, funnily enough, for my debut. And um, yeah, he, he'd literally knocked two guys out, like all in a like two of them out in a row. And they, he fought those both at light heavyweight, so he was seen as like a massive favorite. And even the the promoter said, listen. I mean I've got this fight for you but if you don't want it I'll, I'll completely understand but me and my dad were like now nah, we're going to take this fight and um you know I I, I, I ended up that was my only fight that went to decision but obviously because it was the toughest fight and uh I ended up winning that fight and that guy was actually under the MMA clinical like the management from Graham Boylan who's the president of the Cage Warriors so that already gave him like an eye on me. Like they sort of put, put their eyes on me from that because, oh wait, hold on a minute. He's just beat our boy. Like how, like what's he all about? And then, you know, I went on a bit of a win streak and then, just after i came back from jackson's i took my first ever pro title fight against a much more experienced opponent and you know his experience showed and like i said because mentally things i needed i needed like a different push at that point ended up losing but straight after that fight um we arranged a meeting with graham boyland with my sponsor at the time and then um you know we had a chat and he said listen that's probably a bit too early for you to take that fight in your career but we can lead you in the right direction And uh, so he signed me to a five-fight deal. And then, uh, yeah, next thing you know, uh, obviously uh, I ended up losing the first fight against, you know, against an opponent on paper that I should have beat. I was winning the fight and then just got caught with a right hand. I think that put me in a bit of a a dimmed light with Cage Warriors, uh, especially because I ended up being out for quite a long time after that because I injured myself at the end of the year. Um, So this, you know this, I guess, didn't bode well for me in terms of, you know, I, I wasn't really seen in many people's good books after that. So then that's when I had to, I had this real fire to sort of prove everyone wrong. And, you know, like to show them that, that I am the fighter that I've been talking about. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that I was given the opportunity uh, to have that contract. And then, like I said, everything just played out amazing afterwards.
0: So who's traveling with you to uh, Fight Island?
3: Um, so I've got my dad, uh, obviously my, uh, one of my main coach. He's my head coach, pretty much. Uh, I've got Danny Batten, who's uh, my coach from BST. Um, he's been an amazing addition to the team. I've only had him since, I think, my four, seventh, seventh or eighth pro fight. I think seventh pro fight, but ever since I brought him in and I started training at, uh, at his gym with all the other guys, like my my grappling's like stepped up another level, and my just my MMA IQ. So he he's an amazing addition to the team, and he gels very well with my dad and my other corner man. and I've got Denison Sutherland, who's uh, you know I guess you could say a pioneer of UK MMA um very very experienced and you know he gives me loads of like little little um golden nuggets like in my fight game to really you know uh like I say anytime he gives me uh anytime any of them give me uh sort of advice in the fight always they always give me the right pieces of advice and they all gel together very well they don't disagree with anything they're always like very like like put on and 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 on point with everything so yeah I've got a great corner team
0: all right, that's well, best of luck uh, with your debut. Let's uh, make Lithuania proud because we need more Lithuanians uh, in the UFC and MMA as a whole, and uh, I really appreciate your time.
3: Oh, yeah, definitely, my man. I'm going to go and make you a lot proud. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: All right, that's it for this week's show. Although it's not the last of this week's shows, we are going to have another one later this week to recap this uh, upcoming UFC Fight Night card and uh, have some more interviews for you to check out. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and uh, we'll be back later this week.